We live in a worrying, a threatening, a needy world. I don't need to give you examples, it's, it's all too painfully obvious. We all know that. In such a world, is it self-indulgent or just turning a blind eye to realities to spend time now on our church's vision? Is it just a bit self-indulgent? Are there bigger things we ought to take notice of? No. No. Jesus lived in a world under the boot of the Roman Empire. Forty years after he died, the Roman army would march in and destroy Jerusalem and turn the nation upside down. And Jesus knew it would happen. He told specifically what was going to happen in advance. He knew what a threatening, needy and worrying world it is. And he cared for that world. He cared enough to lay his life down for such a world. And he gave instructions for what his people should do. He gave instructions for what his apostles, his sent people, should do in such a world. And his apostles, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, carried that out in exactly the way Jesus wanted it carried out. They got it right. And their work has stood the test of time, while empires and powers and threats have come and gone. So it's not self-indulgent, it's exactly right for us to consider how we as a church should obey the instructions of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do now. We're in a series which uh, I hope you can remember, although there's been a three-week break from it. But we were in a series on our vision for Hollywell Church. And members of the church got sent a um, document about our vision, and it included a on the screen. ourselves not but summary of it. We're to be a church that's looking up and reaching out and coming closer. Now, I'm not going to explain what all of those mean now, because last time, four weeks ago, we considered looking up. We must be a church that is worshipping God, depending on God and doing everything for the glory of God. This time, we're considering reaching out. We must be a church that is bringing the good news of Jesus to new people who haven't heard it before. That's our focus this morning. And maybe next week or maybe two weeks' time, I'm not fully sure yet, we'll look at the third bit, coming closer. But that can wait. So, this time, reaching out. I want us to consider this by, first of all, hearing Jesus' instructions to his church to reach out, and then seeing how the New Testament church did that reaching out. Or to put it a different way, I want us to hear first from the king what he tells us to do, and then see how his people did that work of the kingdom in the New Testament. So, good, the diagram can go. Let's first of all hear about the king. And we're going to hear from him in Matthew 28. So would you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at the last three verses. Although we're going to look at them only very partially. There's such a lot in these verses. We're just going to look at a small part of them before we move on to look at how they were put into practice. So, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Here are words to grab our attention. Verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
all authority. What is authority? Russian soldiers in Ukraine have power. They've got tanks and guns and planes, and those give them power, but not authority. Authority isn't the same as power. No, authority is lawful power. You can have power without it being lawful power. Authority is the right and position to be in charge. Bullies in school have power, but they don't have authority. Authority is lawful power, the right and position to be in charge. What a big and bold claim Jesus makes here in verse 18. All authority, he says. Do you see it there? All authority. There are other authorities put in place by God. What authorities has God put in place in his world? Governments of nations, bosses at work, your manager, your boss. Heads of houses, heads of households, of families. You might be able to think of others, but those are the three main ones the Bible recognises. But they're all answerable to Jesus. He is the king of kings. Which doesn't just mean he's the supreme king, it means he rules over all authorities. All authority. Verse 18, in heaven. Authority over the spiritual powers that influence this world behind the scenes. Verse 18, on earth, on earth, Jesus should set the agenda for what is studied at school, how everyone behaves at work, what's in TV programmes. Every single internet site there is, Jesus should set the agenda. What happens in the UK, the USA, And the UAE, by the way, that's the United Arab Emirates. There shouldn't be any such thing as the Muslim world. It's all Jesus's world. All authority on earth. Now, think of this. 2,000 years ago, there was a hillside in Galilee and a man, five foot or so of flesh and blood, stood on that hillside and claimed to have that much authority. What a claim. How could he claim it? Why did he have it? Well, the answer is what's described earlier in Matthew 28. The answer is he's risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus proves he's the son of God, so he has authority. The resurrection of Jesus means he's the man who's obeyed God perfectly and triumphed, so he's given authority. It isn't a mistake when in verse 18 it says, given authority. Yes, he had it as the son of God, but he's now given it as the man who's triumphed. Is there someone here and you're you're interested in Christianity? Maybe you're just finding out. Maybe you're just investigating. Maybe you're wondering what it is. Maybe you're wondering if it's for you. In some ways, the answer is very simple. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is just a very successful myth. Find something better. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then he has all authority, including over you. Now, that's a massive claim, isn't it? Jesus rose from the dead. If the claims Jesus had risen from the dead were fake news, they would have been easy to disprove in those early years. 
The authorities of the time wanted the claims of Jesus silenced. Have a look at verse 12. Verse 12. The chief priests, they're the authorities of the time. They met with the elders, they're other authorities, powerful people, and they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, a bribe, and they told them, say his disciples came and stole the body away. Now, these people had all the levers of influence and power. Why didn't their plan become the standard narrative for what had happened to Jesus? Why isn't that what spread? When they had all the levers of influence and power, Why did the story of a pathetic little group of fishermen and tax collectors spread? Why didn't these men with influence and power manage to squeeze these disciples and get at least one to spill the beans and say, yeah, we've made it up? Yes, it's a clever story, but look, here's what really happened. Why didn't they manage to show up the problems in the claims and kill off this new belief? Why instead did belief that Jesus rose from the dead grow so rapidly and get believed by so many that a writer who was very anti-Christianity wrote about how within 30 years this belief that Jesus had risen from the dead had spread to Rome, hundreds of miles away. No internet, no TV, it had spread to Rome. Word of mouth. People telling others what they'd seen and experienced. How come? Because it's true. Jesus did rise from the dead and he has all authority. And because he has all authority, of course, he should have disciples. Verse 19 follows from verse 18. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in other words, because of this. Go and make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? is isn't just those 12 special people back then at the beginning. No, it's what we today call Christians. A disciple is someone who trusts Jesus and follows his teachings and lives his way. A disciple is someone who trusts Jesus. They're trusting him for forgiveness, for mercy. They'll welcome into God's family. And because they trust him, well, of course, they'll do what he says and they'll want to live his way. In fact, verse 19 says they will try to obey everything he's commanded. If that's not you, if you have to honestly say, no, I'm not actually a disciple of Jesus, I recommend you don't listen to the rest of this message. Okay, I recommend you don't listen to the rest of this. Not that I'm going to say something secret to the believers and I don't want you to hear it. Not that I'm encouraging you to leave. No, please don't. But there's something more important for you than listening to the rest of this. It'll be better for you to spend the time thinking. Why don't I believe the claims of Jesus? What do I need to investigate? What more do I need to find out? Or maybe you think, well, actually, I do sort of believe. But then ask yourself, well, why don't I trust him? Why don't I obey him? Spend the time, not just thinking, how about spending the time now praying? You could do that now. You could pray, please God forgive me for acting as if I am the authority and and not Jesus is king over me. 
Please, Jesus, may I be one of your disciples. You're You're a good, you're a loving king. Please welcome me as one of yours. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, doing that now would be more important than listening to the rest of this. If you are a disciple of Jesus, do you have confidence he has all authority? Do you have confidence in that? I was at a family celebration with my brother-in-law, Jerry. He was preparing to go to make disciples for Jesus in Iraq. And at that family celebration, there was just me and him and my sister were the only Christians, surrounded by non-Christians. And one of them said to Jerry in this hostile tone, you should just leave these Muslims to their religion. What business is it of yours to go with your religion to them? Leave them alone to do what they want to do and follow their own way. Well, everyone who's tried to speak for Jesus has probably at some time been told something like, you've no right to push your religion. You've no right to try to get people to change. You've no right to tell anyone else what they should or shouldn't do. No right. The one with authority everywhere and over everyone has told us, go and make disciples. So we are not intruders. Wherever we go with his good news, and it is good news for everyone, we are not intruders. We are ambassadors. We go representing the king. There's the first thing. We've got to get this first. I hope we have seen something of the king. Now, secondly, we're going to think about his kingdom. Having seen the king and heard what he tells us, we're going to think about his kingdom. How does his kingdom spread? Or to put it another way, we've heard his command to his people. How did those people put it into practice? And bear in mind as we hear this, they weren't just making it up themselves. They were apostles guided by the Holy Spirit. So they put it into practice in the right way. Let's have a think about how they did that. Now, first I want to point out verse 19. The go in verse 19 is connected to the all nations in verse 19. When Jesus says go, he isn't telling us evangelism must be going onto the streets rather than inviting people into your building. That may be sensible, but that isn't what verse 19 is saying. You've got to go out there and not invite people in. Again, I say that might be sensible, but it's not what verse 19 is about. Verse 19 is about spreading the good news of Jesus, the Saviour King, to all nations. Go worldwide. And how that was done is described in another book of the Bible. You can probably guess which one I'm thinking of. Acts, the book of Acts, is the Acts of the Apostles as they did what Jesus told them. We're going to think for a little while about what happened in Acts. And a verse that summarises Acts, summarises Acts, is chapter 1, verse 8. I'll read it to you. You can turn to it if you'd like to check it. I'll read you chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. Jesus said to his apostles, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can you see how similar that is to Matthew 28? You're going to be my witnesses. It's about making known me, the king. So people follow me, the one with all authority. And they go. They're going to go. Where are they going to go? They're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea the region around. And then they're going to go on to Samaria. And then they're going to go on, well, everywhere, the ends of the earth, all nations. And that's exactly what you find happening in the book of Acts. The apostles go to different cities and different countries. And what do they do as they go in those ever-expanding circles? They preach Jesus, who he is and what he's done and how you should respond. And people become disciples and churches start and they go on to a new place and they preach Jesus, who he is and what he's done and how you should respond. And people become disciples and churches start and then they go on and do it in another place. That's the pattern we find throughout the book of Acts. And it's all the apostles doing this, but the book does later on focus on one particular apostle who is doing this across the Mediterranean, it's the Apostle Paul. And he describes to us how he did it. Again, I'll read you a verse. You could turn to it if you like or just listen. It's in Romans, the next book along. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 19. The Apostle Paul describes what he did. Interestingly, given what we've just heard Jesus say, he starts by saying this is by the power of the Spirit. Remember the link to chapter 1, verse 8. What did he do by the power of the Spirit? From Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum. Are you familiar with Illyricum? Probably not because it's an old name for a part of the Roman Empire. Which part? It was all of what we today call Greece and most of what we today call the Balkans. What's the Balkans? I suppose it's Albania, Macedonia, places like that. Greece. That's a pretty big area, isn't it? He says, from Jerusalem all the way round there, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. Wow, had he really managed that? What does he mean? Had he told everyone... In that whole area, that's just impossible. How could he claim he's fully proclaimed the gospel across the whole area? Well, verse 20 helps. Verse 20, still Romans 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You see, Paul was a frontier pusher. He was always pushing out the boundary of the kingdom. Let's break new ground. Let's get into new areas. Let's get this good news to new people. And that's the work he completed in this area. He'd not personally told everyone, but he told enough people that gospel outposts in the form of local churches had been established. Let's have, let's have something else. I don't know how this is going. Because I have just taken a map, drawn on it, photographed it with my camera, and then 
It's not too fuzzy, is it? You can just about see what's going on there, I hope. So we've got from Jerusalem round into Illyricum. And that arrow is the frontier pusher, Paul, and he's always going out to new areas. Let's get the gospel out to new areas. But what does he leave behind him? The little dots. The little red dots are churches. And he leaves behind. And why have they got arrows coming out to them? Because they are going to represent Jesus to their area. They're going to carry on the work in their locality. We could think of them as like embassies of the kingdom. And and Paul is going to push out the kingdom further, but he's leaving behind little embassies, representing Jesus and continuing to expand the work in their localities. Let's think about those embassies. Thanks for that, Ben. Let's think about those embassies of the kingdom, those local churches. What should they do? How did they represent Jesus? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to just try to work it out for ourselves. Let's all start from a blank slate and work it out for ourselves. No, we don't have to. Because we've got Paul's letters to them. He writes to them and tells them what he wants them to do. How they're going to play their part in this ever-expanding kingdom. He writes letters. How many letters of his have we got? Do you know? Can you have a guess? You're guessing in your mind, how many letters? Thirteen is the answer. Mostly to churches, some to leaders of churches, one to an individual within a church. How often in those letters do we find Paul telling them to engage in an evangelistic event? You know those letters, try to have a think through. How often in those letters do you find Paul saying to them, come on, what's your next evangelistic event? Zero times. Zero times. But repeatedly, we find Paul telling them, come on, grow in godliness. That is character like God. We find Paul pointing them to Jesus and saying, do you love him and is your life like him? How often do we find Paul praying about their evangelistic strategy? The letters are full of Paul's prayers. He he writes down what he's praying for them. How often does he say, I'm praying for your evangelistic strategy? Zero times. But repeatedly, he says, I'm praying for your godliness, that you will have a character like God. I'm praying for your Christ-likeness, that your behaviour would be like Jesus. How often in those letters does he urge them, come on, do more personal evangelism? Zero times. But so often we read that he is urging them, come on, be loving like Jesus. Have a character that's like God. Now, what's gone on with Paul? Didn't he care about the gospel? Had he just got worn out and he's lost his evangelistic drive? This is the man who travelled land and sea to tell others about Jesus. His letters, in, in one of his letters, he writes to a church and he says, I would, I could wish that I was cursed instead of my fellow Israelites. I could wish that I was cursed by God and, and, and so that they could receive the blessing. If that would do any good, I'd, it's almost saying, I wish I could go to hell in their place so they could go to heaven. In one of his letters, he writes from prison. 
And he says, do you know what? It's all turned out good. It's actually good that I'm in prison because it means more people are hearing about Jesus, the people around me here. He'd not lost his evangelistic drive. But he knew as he pressed into new areas, the best way for the gospel to spread in the areas he'd left behind was churches full of godly, Christ-like people whose lives displayed Jesus to the world around them. Where did Paul get this from? Where did Paul get his evangelistic strategy from? From the king. From the king. Jesus. Jesus had a, a kingdom manifesto, a description of his kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he began that by describing the character of his people that they'd hunger and thirst after righteousness, that they'd be humble people, that they'd be rejoicing despite suffering people. And then he said about those people, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Do you see the pattern? You've got someone who's pushing forward the frontier. And you've got him dotting that area with embassies of the kingdom who by their lives display Jesus to the world around. Now, is this a message of just work on your character and leave evangelism to God and the missionaries? You just work on your personal character and leave the talking about Jesus and spreading the message to the professionals, the missionaries. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Many reasons why, I'll give you three. Here are three. Knowing Jesus means we won't keep quiet about him. Paul's letters are full of, I want you to know Jesus more. Well, if you know him, you won't keep quiet about him. My wife Lou was phoning home to her parents once and her brother, he must have been about 15 at the time, picked up the phone. Now, usually when he picked up the phone, he would just say, do you want to speak to mum or dad and then hand the phone over? You didn't get much out of him. But this time he'd been on a teenager's camp. And I'm not so sure she ever did get to speak to her parents because he just talked and talked about the camp he'd been on, about the activities, especially about the food. Now, had they said to him, when you get home from camp, you must, you must advertise this camp. You must let everyone know. No, they didn't need to. He just was enthusiastic and it came out. Paul did not beat people, tell others about Jesus. He stirred people with love for Jesus. And then it will come out. You can't love him and keep quiet about him. Back in that book of Acts that describes what the church did, the Christians said, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We've seen the Son of God. We've heard his good news. We can't keep quiet. There's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Christ-likeness will lead to compassion for unsaved people. To be Christ-like and not to be compassionate for people who don't know him, that's an oxymoron. Children, do you know what the word oxymoron means? I like that word. It's, it's nice, isn't it, to learn new words? Oxymoron means a contradiction in terms. 
Someone in my family has a coat and the label says cold heat. That's an oxymoron. Christ-like and not compassionate on the lost. That's an oxymoron. He had compassion on the crowds. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd and so will we. Godliness will mean love for a needy world because God so loved the world and so will we. Here's the third reason. Here's the third reason why we won't say leave evangelism to the professionals, the missionaries. Because we'll want to make sure we're not a signpost without words. I find it very odd that if you walk around the countryside in this area, you sometimes come across signposts with no words on them. And not even a symbol on them. It's just pointing somewhere and it doesn't say what it's pointing to. It's not very helpful. Maybe... Some people who've got walker's guidebooks know what the signpost means. I don't know. Maybe. It seems pretty pointless to me. Well, we want people who haven't read the guidebook to know that our lives point to Jesus. We don't want to be signposts without words. I heard of a a Christian student in university halls, and her life was good And her life followed Jesus, but she didn't let people know she was a Christian. And one day, someone on her corridor said to her, you're so good and so kind. Is it because you're a vegetarian? Well, I don't know if vegetarians are particularly tender and kind. I don't know. But anyway, don't be a signpost without words. The Apostle Peter wrote a letter to Christians and he said, Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks why you're living like this. Notice the pattern, a life and then words. It's interesting, there's one verse about words that point in a whole letter about a life that shows Jesus. Paul wrote to Christians in Philippi and he said, Live a pure life so you shine like stars in a dark world as you hold out the word of life. Well, hold out the word of life implies we speak the gospel. But notice again the pattern. Live a pure life that shines and hold out the word of life. One verse about speaking in a whole letter about living in a way that's like Jesus. There's the pattern. Well, originally I wanted three sections to my sermon. I'd wanted about the king and then the kingdom and then applications to us, but obviously there isn't time. And I've dropped that not just because of time. We'll do that bit on Thursday evening at home group. So please come along to home group and let's talk about what practically should we do about this. Let's encourage each other to put this into practice. More importantly, I've dropped that section because we mustn't lose this focus. Here is the focus. Have you caught the vision of the spreading kingdom? Have you caught the vision for the frontier being pushed out by little outposts? Local churches are kingdom embassies representing Jesus to the people around Far more importantly, have you caught the vision of the king? Have you seen anything of the king? Are you insistent, he must be honoured? Everyone ought to bow to him. 
Everyone needs to be safely in his arms. Jesus, strong and kind. I don't want anyone to miss out on his love. Have you caught the vision of him? If we've caught that vision, the specifics and the details, they'll follow. Yeah, let's help each other on Thursday. That will be good. But, But they will follow. But they'll only follow if we've caught that vision and we've got that heart. So let's pray for that now.